Louder! Camera Exploitation, your guide to exploitive cinema. This is the pod boss, T.J. Bowser, and joining me as always is my doppelganger, Kangabanger, from Down Under, Mr. Brody Kane. Eddie Doody, the gentleman. And the slickest of all the Knicks, Mr. Slick Nick. How you doing? Today, we have a doozy of an episode, but first, it's time for your slice of life. Brody, how goes it? Well, like I say every motherfucking goddamn week, Mr. Bowser, it all goes well down in my neck of the woods. Um, what did I get up to this week? I went and saw the new Morbius film. Uh, I went in with low expectations, obviously because of the ratings, but yeah. at the end of the day, fuck the critics because I'm my own critic. That's right. And I actually, I wasn't let down at all. Um, I mean, look, it obviously could have been better, could have been improved a lot more in the storytelling and all that sort of shit, and I could go on about it. But look, the first half was actually fine. I enjoyed it. It felt like a horror film um, to an extent. Um, yeah, I mean, look. If you just want to have a chilled out night watching a fun film, just go and suss out Morbius or just wait till it comes on a VOD. It's totally up to fucking you. Uh, other than that, Vinegar Syndrome come through with the goods this week and I got Dario Argento's Trauma. <laughs> yes, I knew you'd like that one. And um, I'll tell you what, it actually it was actually pretty interesting. I, look, that was another film I went in with low expectations because it was something different for Argento, obviously, mm-hmm. at the time, coming in as his first US directorial yeah. debut, you could say. Yeah. And um, look. I could I could find obviously the positives and negatives about that film to which we will talk about in a future episode. Me yes. and Mr. Bowser have talked about this. Um but I will say that I actually fucking enjoyed it and I am still like after watching it all this week I've just been thinking about it like this scene, that scene, you know. So it's definitely How cool the, uh, is the weapon in that movie? It's pretty fucking <laughs> It it is re- completely random, I will admit. And I will say without really displaying anything, the kid is like the monkey from Yes. Uh, just, <laughs> he's there for that reason so <laughs> um but other than that yeah no not much with not much else happening with me what about you uh mr slick nick not a ton uh had some pretty big changes at work at my day job this week so i have been really really busy dealing with a lot of that uh fellow host of beetle bros uh ryan's birthday was this week mm-hmm. so we had a, a little get together for him uh down at Aaron's. so we went and did that uh the other day that Wednesday night. Uh, it was fun. Could see uh, a bunch of people out. Still had to wake up, go back to work the next morning. That was super fun. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, not a whole lot. Most mostly dealing with some uh, some pretty big changes at work. Uh, what have you been up to, TJ? What'd you do this week? Well, made some pretty big progress on the comic book this week. Uh, Brody and I are working on some other projects here on the side. I was checking out the new Vinegar Syndrome movies that were just announced this month. Super excited to pick so 
some of those up. One of them is Flesh Eater, Revenge of the Living Dead, and of course, local films. So I'm super excited to add that to the collection very soon. But yeah, just doing podcast stuff, watching movies, watched a fuck ton of Rudger Hauer movies leading up to this week's episode. I don't know why, but Brody kind of definitely facilitated that type of atmosphere and mindset. So thank you. Uh, he was, <laughs> he just kept feeding me film and uh, that recommended list also. Yeah, it got messy. Anyway, anyway, I watched this week's film and uh, oh boy, I can't wait to talk about it. And this week's film is <laughs> 2011's Hobo with a Shotgun. I don't think I've seen you around here before. Let me guess. You rode in on the rail. That's right. Did anybody officially welcome you to town yet? They never do. Well... Welcome to Fucktown! Anti-crime groups have been springing up throughout the city, and their inspiration is this unidentified homeless man who's been delivering justice. This is a goddamn fucking robbery! I'm gonna sleep in your bloody carcasses tonight! Keep the chain. I want that hobo's head on my wall. Jerk on this shit liquor. I'll crucify him to homeless shelter. Put the knife away, kid. Or I'll use it to cut welfare checks from your rotten skin. with a shotgun. That's all I know. And that is directed by Jason Eisner, who also did The Teeth Beneath in 2005, The ABCs of Death in 2012, the segment Why is for Young Buck, and another one of my favorites, The Dark Side of the Ring TV series from 2019 till modern day. Check it out on Vice TV. Writers, John Davies, cinematographer Kareem Hussein, who also did Ascension in 2002, Mohawk in 2017, and Possessor in 2020. Production design, Ewan Dixon, who also did One Hit Wonder in 2005, Summerhood in 2008, and Your Money or Your wife in 2015. Costume design, Sarah Dunsworth. You may know her as Sarah from the Trailer Park Boys, who also worked on Moving Day in 2012, Relative Happiness in 2014, and Trailer Park Boys, Drunk High and Unemployed in 2015. Set decorator, Greg Baller, who worked on Trailer Park Boys the movie in 2006, and Murmur in 2019. Producers, Rob Cotterill, Neve Thickman, and Paul Gross. Special effects, Dylan Harris McDonald, who also did Outlander in 2008, Lizzie Borden took an axe in 2017, and Polaroid in 2019. Budget 3 million USD, according to Slick Nick, starring Rudger Hauer as the hobo, who starred in Blade Runner in 1982, 1986 as The Hitcher, one of Brody's favorite films of all time, and split second in 1992, more like Venom. (laughs) (coughs) Pasha Ebrahimi as Bumfight Filmmaker, who starred in Charlie Zone in 2011, The Good Doctor in 2018, and The Haunting of Bly Manor in 2020. Rob Wells as Logan, you may know him as Ricky from the Trailer Park Boys, from 2001 and 2018, Would You Rather in 2012, and Swearing It Live in 2014, Brian Downey as Drake, who starred in Lex in 1996 and 
2002. That's like a running theme is to have people who worked on that show in this season. Snow Angels in 2007 and The Healer in 2016. Gregory Smith as Slick, not as slick as our Nick, who also starred in Small Soldiers in 1998, The Patriot in 2000, and Everwood from 2002 to 2006. I completely forgot that that's Alan Abernath from Small Soldiers. Holy shit, you're right. So did I. That's the lead. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I didn't recognize him at all. Yeah, man. <laughs> I always wondered what happened to him. He went to Everwood and disappeared. Nate Bateman as Ivan slash Rip, who starred in Hidden in the Woods in 2014, A Wedding Wonderland in 2017, and The Perception in 2018. Drew O'Hara as Otis, who starred in A Whole New Thang in 2005, Th Sticks and Stones in 2008, a TV movie fucking my way back home in 2018. Oh yeah, baby. And last, but certainly not leastly, our final girl, Molly Dunsworth as Abby, who starred in Deeply in 2000, Septic Man in 2013, Connor, I'm looking at you, and Digstown in 2019. <laughs> and whom is also uh, Jim Leahy's daughter. <laughs> yes. Rest in peace. Yes. Next, a vigilante homeless man pulls into a new city and finds himself trapped in urban chaos. A city where crime rules and where the city's crime boss reigns. Seeing an urban landscape filled with armed robbers, corrupt cops, abused prostitutes, and even a pedophile Santa, the hobo, Rutger Hauer, goes about bringing justice to the city the best way he knows how with a 20-gauge shotgun. Mayhem ensues when he tries to make things better for the future generation. Will the hobo's unique form of street justice prevail? Awards! It won a cuppa! And that included Fright Meter Awards in 2011. Rutger Hauer Best Actor, Winner, Winner, Chicken Dinner! Best Screenplay Nominee! Punch On International Fantastic Film Festival in 2011. Jason Eisner, Best of Punch On Nominee. Rondo Hatton Classic Horror Awards 2011. Jason Eisner, Best Film Nominee. Lastly, South by Southwest Film Festival, Audience Award Midnight Feature to Jason Eisner Nominee. Boys! Let's get physical! This week's release is from Magnolia Pictures, and it was dropped July 5th of 2011, and is rated R. Runs 86 minutes, and it features Shotgun Mode, a behind-the-scenes interactive movie featurette, commentary with Jason Eisner and Rodger Hauer, commentary with Jason Eisner, John Davies, Rob Cottrell, and David Brunt. More blood, more heart. The making of Hobo with a Shotgun. Deleted scenes, alternate ending, video blogs, aka vlogs, camera test reel, Fangoria interviews with Rodger Hauer and Jason Eisner, HD net and a look at Hobo with a Shotgun. Grindhouse trailer contest winner, Hobo with a Shotgun. Hobo with a Shotgun faux trailer contest winner, Van Gore. Red Band US theatrical trailer and the Canadian TV spots. Boys, take it away. So, speaking of the faux trailer, uh, in the original 2007 trailer, uh, included with Grindhouse, the double feature, uh, with, from Tarantino and was it Robert Rodriguez? Was the other one? Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, the titular hobo is played by actor David Brunt, uh, who was mentioned as part of the commentary as well. Brunt was originally offered the role uh, for the feature film as well to reprise it. However, he did end up rejecting the offer. Uh, he said that he believed he could not carry an entire movie on his own. However, he does appear in the film uh, as a dirty cop uh, in the scene where the cops are chasing down looking for any homeless people. He is the one wielding a shotgun. Oh, I'll see what they did there. Mm-hmm. 
Very nice indeed. So in an interview with director Jason Eisner, as TJ would say, over at Collider, Jason discusses the idea of Hobo with a shotgun. He is quoted by saying, We were hanging out at a pizza joint where me and John would pitch movie ideas back and forth. We were there with my friend Joe, who had really long hair at the time. He was wearing a scruffy shirt and he had just bought this airsoft shotgun that shoots plastic pellets. We were pitching ideas and he spoke up and said, Why don't you make a movie about me? John just looked at him up and down and said what a hobo with a shotgun it was like a light bulb went off and we were like oh that sounds so cool what could that movie be about we started pitching ideas and then there and coming up with little ideas regarding who the character was and what the journey would be fuck yeah hell yeah in a separate interview uh, with IndieWire Jason explains how he came to discover horror cinema as a kid what ultimately began his path towards directing them says the very first time I saw a horror movie was the original King Kong with my grandfather and I was terrified watching that film. That experience is what inspired me to watch more horror films. But growing up, I wasn't allowed to watch that genre. The only way that I was able to was to go to my best friend's house. When I got to the age where it was totally cool to watch anything, I blew up on that stuff and I watched as many as I could. So we have Mr. Eisner talking about winning the Grindhouse trailer competition slash turning it into a feature fucking film. When we put the trailer online, the view count started racking up and we thought, wow, there's a lot of attention on this. And there were a lot of people telling us that they'd love to see a feature film. So we... We decided to try and make a feature film with friends and spent a long time doing that on the weekends for no money. Then we went to the Grindhouse premiere in LA and I got a call from the Canadian film production and distribution company, Elliot, saying that they wanted to release our trailer with the Canadian release, Grindhouse, theatrically. They were going to strike a bunch of film prints of it and then they also wanted us to come to Toronto to talk about the idea and developing it into a feature film. So they took us to Toronto and we met producer Niv Feitman from Rhombus from Rhombus Media and we just really hit it off. He basically sent us straight home to get the treatment done. We sent it off and within a week or two he told us to get he told us to give him a script. So he goes on to describe financing the script as well. He says there were people and financiers who were on board from the very beginning and totally support it. But it definitely took some convincing. For instance, when we started developing the idea as a feature, people didn't really see what we had in mind and and how we were going to handle the violence. Because when you read the script, to some people, it can sound really mean-spirited and very overwhelmingly insane. We made a short film in the meantime while writing the feature script called Trevenge. When we showed our financiers that, they saw how we were going to deal with violence. It definitely helped open doors and get people on board with us. So we have uh, Mr. Eisner talking about shooting the film. Was it the- mm-hmm bulk of the film was shot okay yeah. so we have yeah so we have mr eisner talking about shooting the film so the bulk of the film was shot using a handheld red 1mx digital camera afterwards during editing the shots were processed digitally to appear as if they were shot using color stock film cameras which resulted in the film's overly saturated distorted color scheme in an interview with the kpbs Eisner speaks about this choice with saying it comes from growing up in the 80s and watching a lot of cartoons. And back then it was so full on of color and prime colors to help attract a young audience. I just love that. And also genre films. I love Dario Argento movies. 
They are so full of color. A lot of the 80s action movies like Savage Streets and Vice Squad and potentially Dead End Drive-In and The Warriors. I just love the color palette in those films and it is always something that attracted my imagination. And so when it came to time, and so when it came time to shoot Hobo, I wanted to create a surreal graffiti colored colorful world and with the effects i'm definitely a fan of outrageous special effects in the sense that it's almost so crazy that it's absolutely unbelievable so uh in an interview with hey you guys jason discusses the color and tone of the film a bit further says it was all on set the dop kareem hussein on the movie came to live with us three months prior to production so him me and our producer found all the locations before we went into pre-production and we would go to all the locations every day and figure out where we wanted the lights to go what gels we wanted to put on. So when we went into pre-production, I took the script and I cut out little pieces of the gels and I attached them to each scene. So it showed my costume department and my production design team what colors I was going to use for every scene. And I asked them to complement those with costumes and spray paint. Then when we went into post, I just got them to crank up the saturation so it would pop all of those colors and make them more vibrant. He also goes on to discuss um, the color palette by saying, although the color palette and film style was digitally actually... He doesn't say that, does he? Mm-mm. No. So although the color palette and film style was digitally processed in post-production, the effects within the movie itself are entirely practical. In the same KPBS interview, Eisner remarks on this, stating, everything is practical. Yeah, I've never seen any gore effects in a film that look real, and every time I see a bad CGI effect, it just completely takes me out of the movie and the story and the characters. There's just something off, but when an effect is done, but when an effect is done, practically, and even if it looks cheap or cheesy it's still it's still really fun because you know people worked really hard to do it and there's a heart and soul behind it because it's hard to do those effects they never happen on the first take they always take 45 minutes to reset it's definitely a struggle to make those effects happen and i think it's kind of special when you see an effect on screen that's done practically it's better feeling knowing that it was done real rather than on a computer because cgi just feels fake and there's no heart and soul behind it i am inclined for the most part to agree with him Agreed! <laughs> so, uh, Jason, on using fake blood for the film, uh, he says we had a truck called the Blood Truck. There's a little extra feature about that on YouTube. Shit, I wish I'd seen that. <laughs> We had a guy named Henry Townsend who is in charge of the blood and the guy loves blood more than anyone. Every time he came to set, he was completely covered in blood from head to toe. Every time I showed up on set, he would be there covered in blood with 16 to 20 buckets of blood waiting on standby. So I'm not sure how much blood we used throughout the whole thing, but it certainly was a lot. So we have Mr. Eisner talking about choosing the right actor for the job. When we first wrote the script, I was thinking about the movie on a much smaller scale and trying to be realistic. I was very interested in a Canadian actor by the name of Stephen McHady, who starred in Pontypool. He's one of my favorite actors. He's an ama- he's amazing and he was in a movie from the 70s called Moving Violation where he kind yeah. of plays a hobo too. So I thought it would be a cool return to form, but Alliance came to us and said, just as an experiment, write down a list of names of your top five choices. If you could do this with anybody, who would it be? If I could have anybody, of course, the top of the list was going to be Rudger Hauer. When me and John were growing up and buying those movies from pawn shops, whenever we would see a Rudger Hauer on one of the VHS boxes, we would immediately pick it up. He was the first actor who we loved enough to track down everything he ever made. I never would have thought in my wildest dreams that we would ever have Rudger, but I kind of put it out there as the ultimate dream. 
I thought it would never happen, but it would give people an idea as to who we were kind of going for, the kind of actor and type of performance we wanted. Fucking A. I still would have even been okay with Stephen McHattie. I fucking love Pawnee Pool, man. <laughs> a good movie. Uh, so he continues on working with Rutger. Uh, he says, when he came to Halifax... And he met the cast and crew, and he saw how enthusiastic everyone was about the project and how everyone was just giving their heart and soul. He was so inspired. He just jumped into the team. He was more than an actor on the movie. I feel like he was one of the filmmakers. He did so much more than acting. He gave us so much advice, and he kind of took us under his wing. He helped us pull a lot of things off in the film. He had so much experience. So if we would be dealing with a technical problem, he would come up and say, hey, guys, don't worry, I've seen this before. Here's what we can do. He was awesome. To work with him on that level was more than just working with an actor. It was like working with an amazing filmmaker too. In an interview over at the Horror Channel, Rudger Hauer elaborates on the film's reception. He goes on to say, I'm pleasantly shocked at how well this film's been received because I really didn't see that coming. I knew that there was quite a following, but the fact that Part of the movie establishment also came on board and was so friendly. Rather than being upset and pissed off, is great. I guess the film is very clear about what it promises to tell you. You know, not since the first test screening of The Hitcher in 1985 have I seen, quote, one of my my movies get such a great audience reaction as Hobo has. It's the only time that I've experienced watching a film with the audience where they know exactly what it is and what you're doing. And they know how to appreciate it. It was lovely. In an additional interview that Rutger did with The Guardian, he speaks about his experience with the film because they did actually kind of ask him uh, if he just appeared in it for a paycheck, uh, which he responded with, no, I do roughly one third of my work for the money and two thirds is either experiments or people like Jason who have an idea I can't resist. I read through the script for Hobo and at first I didn't know if I was reading it right. I thought the story was very noisy and very flat. So we got on Skype together and we connected. I said, I thought there were a couple things missing. And he said, I know. And that's why I'm asking you to do it. There's no better answer. So so we have Radka having an input into his character on set. So he goes on to say, Jason had a very specific idea about the character because the whole story was based on Dave Brunt, who was a real person walking around in Halifax with his own story. He was the inspiration. So Jason wanted me to hang on to that. So my task was to see if I could bring the real character into my movie character. So I studied Dave. He was there on set most of the time, and he was very supportive of me playing him. He was very proud that I was pretending to be him. He's a damaged person basically because he was disabled when a truck drove into him. He settled for a couple of thousand dollars or something, but a big part of his life was ruined. So he came somewhat of an outcast, I would think, but he's also a very pure character who loves nature and knows all about any wild animal you can think of. Rutger goes on to discuss the film's over-the-top nature. says, Jason felt that I shouldn't play it for jokes, that it should be deadly serious and try and deal with the simplicity of his, the hobo's, own mind, his sense of pride and honor and purpose. My task was to be deadly serious, 
because Dave is also very serious about this stuff. You can't fool around with honor and pride and sensibility. Every scene became such an over-the-top soap opera that it was a pure joy to see how everything developed into such ridiculous, crazy stuff. But of course, it was my job to stay in character. Naturally, though, after Jason said, cut, you would piss yourself because of all that had happened during the scene. It's hard, sure, but I had a lot of fun shooting this movie because it was so wild, socrative, and everyone involved has a love for making movies. So lastly, but not least, in the previously mentioned How You Guys interview, we have Mr. Eisner talking about a blind kid on set. It's actually pretty fucking, uh, it's actually pretty interesting. I so love he, this. Yeah, he goes on to say, you know that scene where they get the character Logan and then they put him in the manhole cover and they cut his head off? Well, there's a background performer that day. His name was Noah and he'd never had his vision his whole life. He'd never seen anything in his whole life and he's 23 years old, I think. And he wanted to come to the shoot and we thought that was great. So he came out and he had corrective surgery done to his eyes two weeks before we were shooting and during the moment we were cutting the head off logan the blood starts coming out and this girl starts dancing in the blood he's standing there and his vision comes back so the very first thing he sees of the world is this hot chick dancing in blood and my ad overheard him say wow red is so beautiful I couldn't believe it. It was so amazing. If you see the movie again, he's in the audience and he has crutches. And this is kind of a blank stare. He was kind of blown away. Just imagine that being your first vision of the world. (laughs) I'm so glad you found the interview where he mentions that. Because I saw that listed as like a tidbit about it, but no source. And I was like, I don't know if I can put that without a source. Well, boys, let's talk about it. Okay, favorite performance of the film. Slick Nick, start us off. I have the feeling that this might be another one of those episodes where the three of us pick the same person. (laughs) 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 Because I don't think anyone is going to find it very surprising when I say that my favorite performance was Rob Wells. I mean, Rudger Hauer. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I really, really like just how straight he plays the hobo. I mean, like, I absolutely understand why he said whenever, you know, he was looking for the direction on it. Jason was like, the movie's over the top enough already. You play your character straight. You play your character like a real person, more or less, <laughs> who is trapped in this like dystopian hellhole of a crime ridden city and just remain true to that. Because it makes it more believable when he has those like weird conversations with Abby, like his monologue about how a bear will rip your face off and you will die as he's like trying to go to sleep while she's like comforting him. Because it just like it feels earnest, but it's like, what the fuck is this story? It 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 I don't know. It it makes his character something else to where it's like he still fits in the world while being just enough apart from it that you can believe his like disgust at everything when everyone else has just kind of accepted it as their reality. Am I, am I missing something here? Are we? <laughs> <laughs> uh, TJ yeah. starting shit. 
So uh, I will start that off and I will hit it. So does anyone else have a different one or would anyone else like to talk about Rutger Hauer next? <laughs> What's not to say about fucking Rutger Hauer, especially in this movie? Uh, clearly further along in his career at this point, but still premium uh, quality talent, apparently. Uh, this guy <laughs> <laughs> delivers a performance of a lifetime, and it is just absolutely mind-boggling in some scenes, just the lengths that he will go. And he is believable 100% of the time, and I love it. I do have to say that, like Nick said, the way that the character's written, the way that the character's portrayed, it's weird. <laughs> it's strange. But it's you're, you're definitely rooting for him. Oh, yeah. And then... <laughs> You can't solve all the world's problems with a shotgun, but it's the only way I know how. <laughs> I love it. Just, the camp is just dialed to 11. It's so, I love it. I do love the way that Rob Wells talks. I think maybe that's because I love Trailer Park Boys so much. Oh, yeah. But just any time he gets pissed off and goes on one of his rants, I think it's just too fucking funny. Oh. It does feel like Ricky has been plucked out of Trailer Park yes. Boys and then dropped into this. <laughs> dropped into <laughs> a manhole. Don't kill me. <laughs> yeah, just right, right into it. Don't fucking run away. Get these goddamn handcuffs off me. I'm like, man, it's Ricky. It's just Ricky <laughs> running around. <laughs> so he felt like a Danny McBride relief to me. He's Canadian. He's Canada's Danny McBride, essentially. He is Canada's Danny McBride. Yeah, mad McBride vibes. Absolutely. It's not a bad thing. I will have to no, say no, no, no. that Mandy, uh, Mandy Dunsworth, is that her name? Uh, Mandy Dunsworth. Oh, uh, Molly, Molly Dunsworth. I will have to say that Molly Dunsworth, our final girl, is absolutely wonderful in this, and she's so badass, mm. and it's very rare these days that you really feel like you're behind one of these final girls, and I definitely feel behind her by the end of this film. So, definitely special nod and mention to Dunsworth. Brody, take it away. Uh, look, yeah, I'm gonna have to agree with Hughes and say, uh, Mr. Radga himself. Um, look, it's not a performance I would rave on about for days like his previous work, but, you know, um, I still think it was a fucking amazing choice to have him play this hobo. Um, like you said, he's just this uniquely weird fucking hobo that looks at the world differently in a, to an extent. And um, what I love watching throughout each of his scenes is this uncanny facial expression he does he like he really forces himself into his dialogue where he grits his teeth and it's just over the top dialogue it's just fucking fun to see um especially when the film doesn't take itself too fucking serious um look he's, he's just one badass motherfucker you know popping heads with that and exploding dicks off with a shotgun i mean how could you not fucking like him? <laughs> it's, it's just man yeah it's great to see him come out and not take himself too serious with a film like this at his age at the time so yeah no Mr. Rudger himself. Now, I'm going to go wash this guy's asshole off me. (laughs) (laughs) He finishes his monologue from the end of Blade Runner. And someone just comes back in time and just goes, that was absolutely incredible. You're going to wash somebody's asshole off your face in 30 years. (laughs) And you're going to love doing that movie, too, is the thing. (laughs) Um, Oh, were you going to elaborate? I was going to say at least one thing. You mentioned um, Molly Dunsworth's character. Uh, I didn't put this in the notes just because it was just a tiny little tidbit of info. But there is an alternate extended ending. Uh, Do you know how so she she gets her her hand cut off with the uh the lawnmower mm. uh and how whenever he was he was holding her back the uh the plague member walked up and was like she killed grinder now she must take his place yeah. in the plague there is an alternate ending where she takes his place in the plague and gets that mm. hand replaced with a gatling shotgun what the fuck oh, f- 
Yeah. <laughs> would you cut that out of this fucking film? I have honestly. no idea. But I, like that feels like such a nod to it coming out of Grindhouse with the fucking machine gun yes. legs and like death. Like, yeah. I was like, dude, why? What, <laughs> what if that's why they that. didn't do it? Maybe like it felt like too on the nose, I guess. But still, oh, man. You should have let that so in. So fucking awesome. <laughs> the movie already, like, it's no Blade Runner. I mean, <laughs> the movie knows exactly what it is. I say they should have gone for it, man. I don't know. I was, I was hoping she was going to use that fucking bone hanging out of her arm to stab old mate to death with it. She did. She did. Did she? Yeah. The Drake? Yeah, yeah. she stabs the shit out of That's him. That's why that her, guy was bleeding thumb. and crawling away at the end because she, when she, after she, ah, she turned yeah. around and stabbed him with her arm sword. <laughs> oh, my yeah. wish come true then. <laughs> Fuck, how did I miss that? Yeah, that's why he has to turn him over and finish him off at the end. Mm-hmm. Favorite like- set piece. Favorite set piece, boys. Uh, her apartment's pretty gross, but I do have to say, like, that main bad guy compound is just wacky. Yeah, the, like, arcade. Yeah, like... Essentially. <laughs> I like that one flashback scene where you flash back to him, and there's just, like, those crowd of naked girls beating this dude like a pinata, and then he just pulls out of this <laughs> razor blade bat and, like, guts this dude. When life gives you razor blades, make a razor blade baseball bat. <laughs> <laughs> like, this movie doesn't fucking care, this man. City- is gross oh yeah. yeah it is grimy i like i do really like the drake's compound but yeah. i i think i might have to go with the plague's compound ah. the plague's like dungeon hostel torture chamber that they had him in was, <laughs> was jesus one of their hits i think <laughs> 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 oh speaking of that did you notice the last supper yes <laughs> <laughs> i like just just all the weird shit yeah like you know he's asking the the one plague member for i like how those guys have no loyalties to anyone no okay hey, <laughs> hey you got a match and they're like yeah sure they're like they're like we don't care like, we're not gonna mistreat him while he's here we're just turning him over to that fucking drake dude but like i, I love it you know he's got all that going on the one plague members in the back fighting the fucking kraken off trying to shove it into the goddamn closet in the back with all the sound effects going the tentacles just flying out everywhere like it it's so ridiculous and just so grimy and just so weird and like yeah it just how the set design i think just works so well for this movie and particularly yeah the the two main villain compounds especially brody favorite set piece yeah i'm gonna have to go with uh nick's choice in the plague um the the whatever you want to fucking call it hangout i don't know <laughs> dude like the weird dungeon. octopus layer off to the side <laughs> <laughs> the, the one dude trying to shove the fucking kraken back in there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was pretty fucking uh, outrageous, but I liked it. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I did. I love that shot. How um, I mean, it's cheaply done and it looks a bit poop town, but just the whole yeah. idea and premise of it being guarded by a graveyard. I thought that looked pretty cool. The silhouettes of the uh-huh. stones and that. Yeah. Uh, the chains of the door, you know, that run through the gargoyles. Fucking mouth was a nice touch. Um, <laughs> I love it. Gothic. Um, oh. Even that, like all their weapons station along. Yeah. Yes. Well, just mm. medieval as fuck. Um, yeah, I don't know. Look, to me, the lighting of that whole scene definitely helps make it. You know, you got the fucking bright reds, pinks, purples. Mm-hmm. Um, they just really work extremely well for that scene and sets the mood of the tone pretty damn well. Yeah. 
I definitely like that they the, he knew what he wanted. Like how he yeah. was talking about, he put the uh, gel colors next to each scene, and it was like these are the colors. This is the palette for the scene. And I guess build this it around that. Kind of where we would touch on it anyway. I love the weird color saturation in this. Yes, it helps so much, and we talk about that a lot on this sh- show. Uh, colors and stuff, and I think in this film, the weird stuff and the weird choices definitely aid to the grittiness of the film. And like mm. Eisner said, it comes from Argento. And I can totally see that. Like, look at the first... Actually, no. Look at Suspiria. I was about to say, yeah. And look at the intense color wave there. And then, like, look at this. <laughs> like, that's the opening. The opening uh, sequence of this alone just shows you the dynamics of the colors here. It, it works very, very well. I really do just think overall it, it went very well. And I think it was also a bit that he picked up from two. Damn it. Hold on. For some reason, my sensitivity wasn't weird. picking. Yeah, it wasn't picking me up. Um, And it, it, it could also be something that he picked up a little bit from Tarantino as well. Because ah. he did talk to him a lot Um, after winning the thing with uh with grindhouse mm. he said that he met tarantino um at something i think it was uh the premiere for inglorious bastards because that ah. came out right before this and they were already working on it and he told him he was like hey that trailer that i made that played with uh, your movie and stuff at grindhouse we're making that into a real actual movie and he said that tarantino got like really hyped for him and started like giving him like pointers as well uh on how to do like the editing and stylization of it fucking a for shot you know i really love when that crooked cop gets his head blown off yeah. and then rucker just keeps laying slugs at him and that girl the way the girl reacts and then the blood splatter and then again mentioning again the saturation the fact that that really makes the blood more jallowish, cartoony, reddish. So whenever it splatters up on her, it just looks fantastic. It just that whole sequence and that shot, just really cool. And it really sets the intensity for like the rest of the film. It's like he's out for blood and he's gonna stop at nothing until like literally that guy's just pieces and cut in half by the time he's done. He blows <laughs> his asshole meat. out. <laughs> Brody, a pile of meat. Nick, shots, 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 shots. Um. Well, I look. I I love the whole scene uh, where the hobo blows slicks cock clean right off his fucking uh, pelvis, <laughs> and then to follow up, having the school bus of burnt children's souls come to collect his for all fucking eternity. I thought that was really fun how they did that. Mm-hmm. Just the fact that he brutally burnt those kids to death bef- uh, prior to this scene, uh, and just for it to come full circle. And have him screaming on the back of the bus at the window. I thought that was, it just felt justified in a very fucking pleasing way. I mean, that whole bus scene was fucking brutal. Um, oh, yeah. Flamethrower. Yeah. I, yeah. That, that, yeah, that was my favorite shot. That whole entire scene was um, done extremely well. I like that. What about you, Slick Nick? I, I couldn't help but laugh. At it, it, they're doing the flamethrower. He's burning the kids. He's got the boom box on his shoulder. And he's big, dumb smile and the fucking sunglasses. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> fucking shit-eating grin. Skarsgård is I... Eric Draven. Oh, Bullshit. Nope. It is official as of today. Rupert Sanders will be directing the Crow reboot with Skarsgård to star. Oh, fuck. Oh. I never thought I'd fucking say that. I'm keen to for the fucking crow. They picked Skarsgård over uh, Momoa. Good. Yes. Fucking good. Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> I, I like Jason oh, Momoa. Why the hell like would they pick Jason Momoa to be the crow? <laughs> now, you, I know, he could be Duncan Idaho the rest of his life. Look, I, look, I, I would just love this not to be a remake um, and just be its own crow mm-hmm. spinoff. Yeah. Just give me a revenge time. tale. Yeah, just give me that. Don't, don't follow the exact same story. Kill his missus me and have him come back. Yeah, Simple. don't give me T-Bird. Give me new characters. Mm-hmm. I want these new characters to come in and fucking... Oh, fuck, I'm, I'm actually pumped now. Yeah, I got it. Perfect <laughs> casting choice. Perfect casting. Hell yeah. No, that's 
fucking it's a good idea. God damn it, I'm happy now. <laughs> <laughs> we walk around all bubbly today and shit. <laughs> Anything else you want to expand on that, Nick? Uh so I think probably my favorite scene just because of like the quietness in re- like in contrast to the rest of this film. It, it's probably when he's standing there in the when the hobo is standing there in the maternity ward of the hospital looking at, like at all the newborn babies and he's delivering this. The, uh, God damn it. Is it doing it again? <clears throat> he's standing there in like the maternity ward of the, the hospital as the plague is coming looking for him. And he's like delivering this monologue to a bunch of newborn babies, like explaining to them what why they should leave the city because if they grow up in the city they're just all gonna end up becoming like burnouts and junkies and murder victims and everything but yeah no like for at least just scene wise those those one that and the uh the what i mentioned earlier the story about the bear those are probably some of my favorite standout moments just because it's like a brief respite you think from the weirdness of the movie because there's no violence and then he just goes off the rails (laughs) just delivering these monologues the weird bear analogy was cool to break up the film and the fact that they spend the time to tie it up at the end was a nice little touch i did like that that you know i want to talk about bears (laughs) bears aren't supposed to be in zoos (laughs) (laughs) boys this was a film with all practical effects like we said earlier and Mm -hmm. it was absolutely jam-packed with some incredible deaths so this next question is going to be very difficult to answer. Favorite effect and death. I love all the decapitations via shotgun. I think a head explosion is one of the best yeah. things to see on film. But I have to go with, again, corrupt cop getting his head just blown off absolutely. and then blown in half. It's just so cool. Misted. <laughs> He's such a scumbag. Of course, he does have some funny dialogue. Like, I uh... <laughs> What do you see? Oh, man. Fuck tube. <laughs> I love the smell of your asshole. <laughs> I can't. I, I don't. I, I really want to know. Did they write that? Or did he go? What's my line? He's like, I don't know, man. Say whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> you ever just want to cut your dick off and just smack it off her titties? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god or just slick and ivan let's fuck (laughs) oh i love the dialogue in this movie so much I just do. Death effect. I think an individual effect. I'm going to have to go with Abby getting her hand mulched by the lawnmower. Brutal. Oh, uh, ah, that one. That one. What about her getting her head cut? Her, her head saw. Her neck. Gross. Her neck getting slashed, man. That, ah, uh, and he's doing the whole back and forth of them and the other rats happening. Man, get in there. <laughs> She's getting yeah. her head cut off. <laughs> it, it just feels so bad for her. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't have a scar or anything, though. I noticed, like afterwards, after the it hospital. It was the duct trip. tape, man. It saved it. it yeah, <laughs> everyone knows that if you duct tape it fast enough, yeah, <laughs> it will not leave any permanent <laughs> visibility. But I think for death, just because I don't think I've ever seen one quite like it, I might have to go with the plague members delivering the harpoon gun nooses to the so orderlies in rad. the hospital, and then shooting <laughs> into the yeah. ceiling to. Hang them like perfect teamwork. That shit. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> that shit was just wacky as fuck. Like, <laughs> it was badass. Oh, yeah. But yeah, those, those are probably what I'm going to have to go with. Bro- Brody, what is yours? Right. Well, I'll agree with Mr. Bowser on favorite effect, how um, the cop's head exploding. Um, fucking Rocky just puts that cunt straight through the mincer. <laughs> there is nothing left of him. And then how um, he like explodes out of him out of the shopping yeah. cart. <laughs> and then we get that one shot of the dude standing there and he just sees him explode out of the corpse and then fall out. And he's like, uh, I'm going to call you back. <laughs> uh, yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> it's, it freaks Abby out so much. too. She's like, why would you do that? And he's like, come on. Come on. <laughs> <Just admit it>. <laughs> <laughs> like, I feel that that scene was actually filmed quite well. Uh-huh. Um, and, mm. and seeing Abby scream with brain matter all over, that was actually, it looked actually fucking horrifying. <laughs> she can scream. She can fucking scream. She's got a set of pipes on her. I'll give mm. you that. My favorite death. Mr. Bowser, what do you reckon my favorite death is? Oh, I don't know. Well. Let me know. It is Santa Claus, the child. <laughs> and what am I ask? Rock spider. <laughs> a rock spider. <laughs> I completely forgot about fucking Santa Claus up until this point that he got shot in the face. Yeah, fucking yeah. A. Yeah, totally deserved so good. it. <laughs> oh, fuck that. Fuck Anytime that a pedophile he- just gets blasted. Yeah. <laughs> well, he deserves torture more than anything, but to see him getting what uh, he deserves, Eisner um, knows how to edit. You know, we have to give him credit mm-hmm. because the the way that that subplot, the subplot of the Santa, the pedophile Santa, is edited. The fact that we see it briefly earlier in the film, and then he edits in the, like this death that's just <laughs> while he's on that montage of murdering people. It's just <laughs> this this quick cut of him walking over to the Santa Claus and blowing his face off and walking away. It's just so cool. Jason Eisner, <laughs> you're awesome. <laughs> oh yeah, I will give a little bit of a uh, a little additional nod to uh, him killing the pimp. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So he leans in for the kiss on the prostitute, and he's like, you, go find someone who loves you, and you, you're fucked. <laughs> I'd have to say that entire sequence, that entire montage sequence where he's killing people is really yeah. well edited and really well done. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, it's yes. it's a very well pieced together movie. Yeah. Like, it was made with some TLC, for mm-hmm. sure. Do you know what I love about Rudka's character in this, though, is the fact that before he kills someone, he goes, tell him. I'm coming for him. And then he kills him. How the fuck are they meant to tell him? (laughs) (laughs) Message to you and your grave robber friends. And then he just kills him anyway. (laughs) But um, no, yeah, they're for me. Yeah, fuck that rock spider in the end. Or could he be killing them? And by killing them, therefore he's sending a message. So he he is telling them. Yes. That's the, uh, yeah, that's probably the only way you could agree. That is a bit from The Sopranos too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Pauly. Yeah. Your friends, stay the hell out of South Jersey. I'll, I'll tell them, I'll tell them. They already have been told twice. Now I'll tell them. And he shoots the dude in the face. <laughs> I think that's just a crime oh, thing. <laughs> so. Thoughts on story. What else can you say, man? I mean, this, like I said earlier, this movie knows exactly what it is. Yeah, it's it off knows. its fucking head. <laughs> yeah. It is, it, it is, hey, do you remember Grindhouse, over-the-top, viscerally gory exploitation film? from the 70s and 80s do you want one that just really wants to be that and will fucking go for it and stop at nothing to achieve it here you go (laughs) (laughs) this this movie is a cult movie through and through Ah? 
you're getting into the next territory. Hold on. It's hard not to get into it, man. It, Talk about the story. <laughs> yeah, all, right, all right. All right. But yeah, I mean, it, it comes across initially like it's going to play out like a revenge porn film. Yes. You know, they, they He gets attacked by the crime boss. He sees all the shit that they're doing in the city. They carve the word it scum into his It ultimately turns into a fight for survival. It does. And just like this guy who is going to fight for what he believes is right, mm-hmm. and he's going to do whatever the hell he thinks he needs to to achieve that. Like you said earlier, with the, you can't solve all the world's problems with a shotgun, and he's like, it's all I know. He may as well have said, well, I could fucking damn well try. <laughs> <laughs> and it just has fun with it. It mm-hmm. just has as much fun as I think I thinks the audience is going to have watching it agreed but that's those are my those are my my thoughts i really like this movie i am a fan of and the story that it tells i think we touched on it a little bit earlier whenever i mentioned the editing and stuff just like the way he mm. cleverly edits things together to tell a very unique story uh i love how he touches on like some subtle like subplots and then sees them the whole way through throughout the story and they're kind of silly but also serious subject matter so the way when he deals with them they then kind of get relieved anyway you'll know when you watch the movie but uh, the way that the film concludes and the fact that it's set up to conclude that way... <sighs> Do we spoil it? Do we just do we spoil it, or we just let them watch? The movie? I mean, I th- I think the movie's ten year, uh, eleven years yeah, old. It's it's eleven years old. I mean, go watch. Okay, if you're at this part in the pocket, pause. Yeah, go watch the movie. Come back and now finish it. <laughs> <laughs> so at the end, Rutger has a face off with all the baddies, and there's a brief period where our final girl does a really incredible monologue in front of the town folk, and she mentions it earlier in the film to Rutger that they're not bad people that their kind of perspective is off. They're so, scared. Yeah, they're scared. So she has this monologue sequence where she kind of explains what's going on and that gives them an ultimatum to make a choice about their own town. So ultimately at the end when that face-off happens, yes, spoiler alert, the hobo dies, but only is matched with the return of the, the townsfolk shooting all the bad guys that are there shooting him at the same time, then cleaning up the town, hopefully, and ending the reign of terror. They uh, systematically killed their entire police force and that's but it was all corrupt and i think that was made uh, apparent throughout the course of the story i just love the way that eisner wraps everything up in the last 15 minutes of the film and there's really no loose ends brody yeah look for what it is i actually enjoyed it um it's a bit of a ridiculous premise that's a cool throwback to like what nick Mm -hmm. said to those 70 grindy ass films but it's definitely something made from nothing and i fucking appreciate that every goddamn day of the week it's i mean it's nothing new it's very basic um but it delivers it fucking delivers on what it needs to be and what we want to see uh just the violence is i feel like the violence is necessary in this film it's definitely a film where you wouldn't hold back Mm. um the the i mean (laughs) i'm i'm not trying to nitpick it when i say the dialogue is is weak but it's there for a reason to be weak and that's what makes it even more fucking enjoyable and I love that I love it uh, but like I mean look Rudger scenes in this I mean I actually feel like Rudger brought it all to the story you know uh, and it works quite well during the storytelling um yeah i mean i enjoyed it i enjoyed the story of this film uh it's a very basic story that has a lot of undertones and meanings about it and i like what um the director was able to achieve with it it's a fun film absolutely so nick now i'll let you get into it impact and takeaways brother i'll let you start okay 
Alrighty. So, um, I first saw this movie 10 years ago. It was just a random pick on Netflix that I saw with a buddy because we were bored. Mm-hmm. And it had enough of an impact that 10 years later, when trying to come up with picks for this, I immediately, I was just like, I fucking know a movie. <laughs> I know something we could watch. Because it's just so viscerally entertaining. Yes. In what the same the- way that Gunman was. Exactly. Yeah. It feels very similar mm-hmm. to Gunman in that way. In just the, the team came together. They got, they, you know, they got some financing. They got, they were like, all right, we got three, we got three million dollars. Let's make the best damn movie we can make. And it needs to be completely honest with well, itself as to the what best it is. damn movie we can make about a homeless man with a shotgun. Exactly. <laughs> about this weird <laughs> presence or uh, premise that we came up with in a pizza shop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and like and just go balls to the wall with it and just have fun, mm-hmm. but still actually attempt to give somewhat of a meaningful story. Yeah. Like you said, with, you know, um, Molly's character, Abby's, you know, monologue and everything. It tells you what it's about. Um, But I mean, I just like that the movie was able to stay true to itself and all like all the way through its production and come out as good as it did. Yeah. Like the, in my true opinion, the worst thing a movie can ever be is boring. You can have a cheesy schlock fest of a movie, but man, even if you, if you play it super seriously and you just remain true to it and I laugh and enjoy it, it's, it's a good movie in my eyes. And that's all this movie tries to do. Like it's not it's it's not being Oscar bait. It's not going, hey, Rudger, we won as as much as you gave Blade Runner. Like we want you to act like you are pr- trying to give it as much as you gave Blade Runner, and and we're just gonna we're just gonna dick around and have fun. <laughs> I appreciate that they were able to do that and make this thing. And I think that anyone who's a fan and can deal with gore, give it a watch. You'll have fun with it. It's it's a good enjoyable time, and I'm definitely one. I'm glad that I watched again because I don't think I've seen this since I saw it first 10 years ago if anyone could have guessed this was a nick pick this week <laughs> from that little dialogue we got from him there <laughs> well said well done buddy uh this was a terrific choice for modern exploitation. also t- touches on drug exploitation amongst a plethora of other ploistations uh but yeah perfect pick for the show definitely a first time watch for me but i totally enjoyed it rudger howard definitely brings it home impact and takeaways like you kind of said man just the fact that this film went from a trailer a silly concept to something that's actually watchable, enjoyable, and has some sort of cult following is amazing. And we're talking about it 11 years later, and we're enjoying it 11 years later. I don't think that there's anything in it that necessarily you're going to be totally, uh, let's say, offended by because everything mm. gets everyone gets their comeuppance in the end. So it's like, yeah, just enjoy the crazy fucking ride that you're about to be on the moment you hit play on this film because it is yeah. nonstop from go. And I love it. Brody, final thoughts, impacts, and takeaways. You boys summed it up quite well. Uh, I'll take a little bit of a different route and say that the actual story behind making this trailer and for it becoming a feature film is what actually it has pretty much a major impact on me. Um, it definitely helped got, like get my creative juices flowing after watching this. Um, look, I just wanted to come up with some ridiculous premise, write a script, you know, assemble a skeleton crew and just film it in a span of fucking four days to see how it would turn out. And like, I love the whole idea of like this thing being something uh, from nothing to something. Um, even just the trailer to spark a career for this director, get it off the ground 
and running and um, just to get an A-list actor on the film, like this just proves that if you have a decent enough script, there's always a chance you can make quality content. Uh, especially in this day and age, you could just pick up an iPhone and start shooting anything. It really inspires filmmakers out there to actually like, you know, fucking give it all they've got with their creative juices and you know you got nothing to lose who knows an a-lister like rudger could be in your next indie film so i kind of feel from that point of view that this should be shown in film schools around the world even though it is over the top but to an extent it definitely gets your creative juices flowing i think and yeah i fucking appreciate it for what it is like i've said mentioned numerous times and yeah i don't know it just that's inspired me and like nick said i haven't seen this and for about fucking 10 years either so for it to watch it after all these years and inspire me in that direction yeah i was uh pretty pumped i was in the in the zone in the moment hell yeah i'm glad i could bring it back to you mm, it's good and this week's rating is Vigilante Homeless Men Armed with a Shotgun out of 5. Brody, start us off. I'm going to have to give it a 3.4. I will give it a 3.5. Nick? 4. And that is an LCE score of 3.6 out of 5. Vigilante Homeless Men Armed with a Shotgun out of 5. That's pretty fair for with that. 2011's Hobo with a Shotgun. Next week, we have a Brody pick. And that is Lake Mungo from 2011. Wait, is that 2011? Um, no, 2008, I, I thought. Earlier. Yeah, 2008, potentially. But yes, all y'all motherfuckers are coming down in my neck of the woods. This was filmed only about an hour away from where I live, so you'll get to see where I grew up. And this is a fucking haunting tale. Nick will agree with me on that. You've seen yes, this, right? It you, is. It's yes, so, I have seen this. Yeah, it's incredibly morbid. It's scary um i mean you're in for a treat next week boys yeah so fucking a so we'll head down to a local film for brody fucking a that's a fir- oh that's the, the second time right uh yes yeah this one's even closer to home so um what was the other one yeah. Razorback? Razorback, yeah okay yeah, no mad max mad max that's right. films. Oh, oh, oh okay razorbacks on the other yeah. side of the country right yeah uh, no razorbacks up north near sydney yeah oh desert, that's so. right oh. Oh, okay. Russell Mulcahy. Fucking A. Well, can't wait to talk Lake Mungo with the boys, but that's it for this week's episode of Lights, Camera, Exploitation. Hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for joining us. This is the Pod Boss, DJ Bowser, signing off. This is your DKB saying, it was a pleasure being here with you boys again this week, and I'll catch you motherfuckers next week. Slick Nick signing off. Looking forward to seeing you all again next week down under.
Spread the word, you dirty cocksuckers! Tell all your grave robbing friends I want them out of the city now! Hobo with a shotgun. The streets gave birth to a stray dog who is now fed up. Living on the streets is tough. And it's about to get tougher. Violence, cruelty, murder. The streets will be lonelier because this hobo's taken off. He's cashing in his nickels and dimes for a new way of life. But getting out isn't that easy. This hero is going to have to deliver justice one shell at a time. Give me the fucking money! Or you'll slit her goddamn throat! I'm gonna sleep in your bloody carcasses tonight! Hobo with a shotgun! He's pissed! Tell me the goddamn passcodes! And he wants answers. What do you want to do it for? Police is only shooting the dirty cops! They're all dirty cops! Trigger the machine, John Morrison, shit, brother! Hobo with a shotgun. I want that hobo's head on my wall tonight, and whoever brings it to me gets all my friends! When violence rules the streets, there will only be one law. Here. David Brunt has. We're taking a car road to hell. You're running shotgun. Hobo with a shotgun. Rated R. Oh, God. Ah, uh, fair enough. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. It, was, it was literally the fucking. Uh, <laughs> fuck you, Mr. Bowser. For what? <laughs> nah, nothing. I've been doing that the whole fucking time. Oh, I was really? to say, yeah, I, I can see you doing it. I thought, like, at first you were trying to motion to say, like, my mic was still muted from drinking water or something. And I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> I was like, we have Mr. Eisner talking about winning the Grindhouse trailer competition and then turning it into a feature film. When we put the trailer online, the view count started racking up and we thought, wow, there's a lot of attention and this and there are a lot of people telling us, fuck you, Mr. Literally on the ground right now. Literally fell out of the chair. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was trying to push through this paragraph so fucking quick, but I just realized there's a shit ton to go through. Not even halfway yeah, through the fucking thing yet. Oh, sorry, oh. I fell out of my chair and kicked my fucking... <laughs> <laughs> I just saw DJ go down. I was like... Shit. Sorry, bro. Keep going. Uh, <laughs> fuck. I'll have to start again, you motherfucker.